to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Lars Capatici, your host. Paul Chappelle was one of the keynote speakers at the Questions of Courage Youth Conference in summer 2019. He talks about his personal experience with trauma and how he's overcome it to put forth into the world an amazing peace literacy curriculum. Please stay tuned just after the interview to hear from the Questions of Courage conference attendees. They'll share with you what it meant for them to come together as a group of young people and what they're taking home with them. Thanks to all of you who supported and made possible the Anthroposophical Society in America's Youth Conference. And now, here's Paul Chappelle. Hi, Paul. Hello. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me on the Anthroposopher today. So um, I've, I've just met you right now yes. at the youth conference, Questions of Courage Youth Conference in Spring Valley, New York, and we're in summer 2019, and the cicadas are humming, and it's more humid than I've ever experienced in recent years um, on the East Coast than in California, and you're coming yeah. from California too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, you just gave an incredible keynote, just jam-packed full of thoughts about the future and the way, the needs of human beings, the needs of the future, and um, I thought maybe we could just start out, if you could just tell me about how you even came to do this work. So, mm. you told me you grew up on the East Coast. Or I grew up in Alabama. Right. And okay. I grew up in Alabama... And I was born in Maryland. My parents moved to Alabama when I was a year old. And I grew up in a very violent household. My father fought in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. He had a lot of war trauma. And growing up in a violent household, I developed a lot of behavioral problems as a child. I was kicked out of elementary school for fighting, almost kicked out of middle school, suspended in high school for fighting. And I also grew up with a lot of alienation because my mother's Korean, my father's half white and half black. Mm. And so these... These issues around trauma, what it means to be human, how to find purpose, meaning in life, became very central to my to my growth and what I was trying to learn as I as I grew up and became an adult. Mm-hmm. And and you carried some of that trauma through into the ways you, you interacted with people. I feel like I heard you talk about that a little bit. Yes. When you yes. were younger. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just uh, issues around aggression and mm-hmm. and rage and alienation affected yeah. my I mean all trauma affects how we relate with others and also how we relate with ourselves and so definitely how I related to others and myself was impacted by the childhood trauma that mm-hmm. I had experienced and also the racial trauma from growing up as a racial outcast right wow and in, in the south then yeah right, right yeah so uh I'm so glad we're talking about trauma because it's everywhere right, right now, um, and I think people are recognizing it more, but it's also happening. It seems more. I don't know if people are talking about it more or if it's actually happening more, and I think there's a piece with technology in this too and, and raising families and all, all kinds of right. things. Um, so one of the things that really stood out to me when you talk today is you flipped Maslow on its head, basically. Mm. Um, so we always think, oh, well, if people don't have food, then... Um, they they can't, you know, go forward and have relationships. But you turned these needs around. Can you touch on a few of these? I, I, it was astounding to me. I was like, oh, right. We need this more than we need food. Yes. So the idea is that these non-physical needs, 
belonging it's in many others I can talk about they actually help us get our physical needs met so for example if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs he has food water safety shelter coming before belonging but humans have always relied upon belonging being part of a community being part of a group to get our physical needs met so if you think about a wolf what is more important for a wolf food or belonging Belonging for wolves is a precondition that allows them to obtain food. And in a similar way, belonging is a precondition that allows humans to obtain food, water, safety, shelter. Because we get these material needs met through community, through being part of a group. If you put a two-year-old, a two-year-old child out in the wilderness alone, they're going to starve to death. And so right. we start to see how, for example, something like belonging is actually the foundation through which we get a lot of these physical needs met. And another example is the human need for explanations. How humans have this need to explain why things happen. As far as we know, we're the only species in the planet that asks when lightning strikes the ground, we say, why did that happen? Was it Thor thro- throwing lightning bolts? Was it mm. was it Zeus? And every known culture has explanations for lightning, for earthquakes, for natural disasters. Every known culture has explanations for where humans came from, for where the world came from. When bad things happen to us, we have a need to explain why. Was it fate? Was it luck? Was it karma? When people have relationship problems, they have a need to explain why. Why did this person cheat on me or betray me? Why doesn't this person like me? Why is this person upset today? And as far as we know, fruit flies don't ask those kinds of questions. <laughs> And when bad things happen in their country, we have a need to explain why. Why are mass shootings happening? Why is terrorism happening? And our need for explanations is so incredibly powerful that if people don't have an accurate explanation, they will come up with an inaccurate explanation. Hmm. And this need for explanations, it actually helps us get our physical needs met. If you understand why there's a drought, why don't you have food? Why is danger happening? Why do these lions keep coming from that direction? It helps you actually get your physical needs met like food, water, or safety, or shelter. Another one is purpose and meaning. In the military, I learned that purpose and meaning is foundational because purpose and meaning helps you get your physical needs met. If you don't have food, water, or safety, you often have to overcome adversity, physical adversity, psychological adversity to get those needs met. Purpose and meaning help us overcome adversity so that we can more reliably get our physical needs met. Mm. And so when Maslow – and what's very interesting is Maslow actually disagrees with that framework in many ways. And I have quotes that I've taken from Maslow where he – thinks that framework is inadequate, and he's not sure why it became so popular. But that framework, which is from a paper that he wrote where he's kind of brainstorming, he doesn't actually ask, how do people get their physical needs met? And it's actually the non-physical needs, purpose in life, belonging, shared trust between human beings, accurate explanations for why things happen. And this is a need, by the way, that three-year-olds have, four-year-olds. Mm-hmm. They're asking why things happen. Totally. And yet it's not anywhere on his hierarchy. The human need for expression, again, helps us get our physical needs met because I can tell you I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Mm. And if we don't have our non-physical – if we don't have our physical needs met, our need for expression typically increases. Right. Because I'm going to start saying something or I might protest, I might riot, I might break a window. And babies cry so yeah. that adults will hopefully tend to their physical and non-physical needs. And when we don't have our physical needs met, our need for explanations goes up because – when people don't have food, water, and safety, they don't just want food, water, and safety. They also want answers. And then I talk about how people like Hitler, he's able to have such a strong influence on people because he feeds these non-physical needs like purpose, meaning, belonging, self-worth, explanations. People in Germany want to know why am I poor. Hitler says, I'll tell you why you're poor. You're poor because of the Jews. And he's not giving people accurate explanations, but people want answers. 
And history shows over and over again that many people will die for these things, right? A military commander tells people they're fighting for their family, they're fighting for their country, they're fighting for freedom. A military commander gives people purpose. People will risk their lives. They'll give up food. They'll give up safety. A civil rights leader tells people that they're struggling for freedom or for justice. People will willingly go to jail, willingly give up safety, willingly get beaten up, willingly die. So I think that understanding these non-physical needs also shows how well, you know, there's people in powerful positions who were able to tap into that and hmm. really pull people in some very dangerous dangerous directions. Yeah, you have to be so careful because if if they're giving them inaccurate explanations for why the world is the way it is, that's super dangerous, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like when a mass shooting happens, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, according to his hierarchy, all people would want is safety. But in reality, people really want an explanation. People want to know why did that thing happen? What was the motive? Like why did that shooting happen? That gives politi political leaders an opportunity to give inaccurate explanations. Mm -hmm. So if there's a mass shooting, if there's a terrorist attack, if there's a problem with the economy, if people lose their jobs, people always want to know why did that thing happen? Their need for explanations is going to increase. And that allows for politicians or people in the media or any influential position to give accurate explanations, but to also potentially give inaccurate explanations. And the inaccurate explanation might be unintentional, mm -hmm. but can, it can also be very intentional. Right, to manipulate people. To manipulate people. Right, right. exactly. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot in that. So yeah. I love that, you know, everybody – it's it's interesting that Maslow was sort of like, I don't know why this really caught on because yeah. everybody uses this so much. Even when people say like, oh, well, how do we how do we fix the world? Oh, well, just make sure everybody's got food, they've got shelter, they've got um, you know, sort of these basic, super basic needs met. But what I hear you saying is actually <laughs> that that's a part of it, but it's these other things are more yes. important. It's very interesting because the question becomes, well, how do you fix the world? You meet everyone's physical needs. But the most dangerous humans on the planet have all their physical needs met. Mm. Napoleon had all his physical needs met. Hitler had all his physical needs met. These dictators and these these um, conquerors throughout history and these really powerful, wealthy people, they always have their physical needs met. And a lot of people who support them have their physical needs met. Right. And so if the most dangerous humans are the ones who have their physical needs met, like look at all the mass shootings in the United States. Mm -hmm. Hardly any of those people are what you call poor people. I mean, right. the the they're people who have their not their physical needs met. They have food, they have shelter, but there's trauma. There's other things going on in their psyche. Right, no belonging. Yes, yeah. alienation mm -hmm. being arguably the most common feature that all mass shooters have is mm -hmm. feelings of alienation. And what is more important for humans, food or belonging? People do not become mass shooters and serial killers because they lack food, but people can become mass shooters and serial killers because they lack belonging. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's often a n number of risk factors involved, but right. lack of alienation is, is arguably the most common risk factor when you look at why people become mass shooters. Lack of belonging. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Combined with other risk factors, alienation, seem, lack of belonging seems to be arguably the most common. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So so let's put this trauma piece in here. So we've got people needing belonging. Um, let's go through the list again. Right. So they need belonging and they need... They need purpose and meaning. Purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. And they need self-worth. And... I, I give a fairly extensive talk, and I have a pamphlet at PeaceLiteracy.org where I really go through the reasoning and the evidence yes. for how timeless this is. 
and how even people in the ancient world understood that self-worth can easily it can easily overpower our our even our desire for for safety right um, uh like if someone I, I think you talked about somebody disrespects you yes so an example um in terms of self-worth being able to overpower our need for safety there's a quote from julie i asked the audience i say what is more important for humans self-worth or staying alive and i say it depends upon the person for example there's a quote from julius caesar where julius caesar said Prestige has always been of prime importance to me, even outweighing life itself. Mm -hmm. So Julius Caesar said that he prioritized prestige, status, self-worth over staying alive. And you can see that reflected in his life and in his actions. So Julius Caesar would continually risk his life and safety because he was more concerned with prestige and actual um, physical safety. And in the Jewish tradition, I mentioned how there is this idea that humiliating somebody is equivalent to killing them. The humiliate, humiliating somebody is equivalent to murdering them. And this is not just metaphorical because throughout human history, when people were humiliated, many people would kill themselves or they would risk their lives to protect their sense of self-worth. Mm -hmm. So in the Trojan War, the Greek soldier Ajax feels humiliated and betrayed by his comrades. He falls in the sword. He kills himself. Mm -hmm. When the samurai were humiliated and their honor was damaged, honor is another way of saying self-worth, mm -hmm. many of the samurai would kill themselves. If you were to insult and humiliate a man living in Renaissance Europe or colonial America and his self-worth, his honor was damaged, he might risk his life by challenging you to a duel. And that's what the play, the musical Hamilton is about. Mm -hmm. And then think about how many incidents of youth gang violence today, boys and girls, occur when somebody feels disrespected. They feel that their self-worth has been attacked and they will risk dying or going to jail to redeem their sense of self-worth. Right. So how many examples where people feel disrespected and that feeling of disrespect and trying to seek revenge or redeem your sense of self-worth actually overpowers concerns for your own safety? Right. Right, exactly. So food, water, shelter, safety, maybe not. Yeah. Or, or in another <laughs> example And another example is anorexia, which affects men more than affects women more than men. But anorexia is an example where people can prioritize self worth over food, over health, even oh. over staying alive. Right. And between five and twenty percent of people who get anorexia end up dying from it. Right. And today when people's self-worth is wounded, they might not kill themselves quickly the way Ajax did. They might not kill themselves quickly the way a samurai would. Mm -hmm. But they do kill themselves slowly through drug addiction, alcoholism, stress, or some other means. Okay, so let's go into trauma because yes. in my experience as a counselor previously at universities, almost always when there's addiction, I find two things. There's trauma usually and there's a wish for meaning and a spiritual you could say a spiritual life or you could say a meaningful or purposeful right, life, right? right? So can you tell me about this? You called this the, the something that entangled? How did yeah, you, what do you call I, it? I talked about how trauma can become tangled in those non-physical needs. So when trauma becomes tangled in our need for belonging, it can lead to alienation. When trauma mm -hmm. becomes tangled in our need for self-worth, it can lead to shame or self-loathing. So we had this need to feel worthy this inherent need to feel worthy as humans, but when trauma becomes tangled up in that because of childhood trauma or racial trauma or war trauma, any kind of trauma, it can lead to this persistent feeling of shame or self-loathing. Or purpose and meaning trauma can become tangled in that and lead to meaninglessness or nihilism. Or right. trauma can become tangled in our need for explanations and create disillusionment or a ruthless worldview. Right, because you have... 
you don't have a trust in the world and then you would just believe that that the world is is unkind can you can you say a little more i think i'm missing it yeah so an example of a ruthless worldview would be that when people have trauma they're they need an explanation and children for example they want to know and people in general, but children also, they want to know, why did this happen to me? Why me? And children will often blame themselves for what happened. Because if you don't have an accurate explanation, you will come up with an inaccurate explanation. And a common example of this is a child's parents get divorced. And the child thinks, oh, it must be my fault they got divorced. Again, if you don't have an accurate explanation, you will come up with an inaccurate explanation. Another example of this is a child is abused. And the child thinks, oh, it must be my fault I was abused. I must have been abused because I w I'm worthless, or I deserve to be abused. Again, if you don't have an accurate explanation, you will come up with an inaccurate explanation. So if a child has trauma, if the explanation that they come up with is that the reason why they were abused is because human beings are inherently dangerous and inherently untrustworthy, then their world you can become ruthless. And they can start to think, because human beings are inherently dangerous and inherently untrustworthy, I have to hurt people before they hurt me, and I have to control people so that they can't hurt me. Right. So what trauma can do is it can create this worldview that you have, or it can give you this inaccurate explanation that, well, that's just how people are. They're untrustworthy. You can't trust anybody. Every person's for themselves. Everyone's selfish. Right. And so when that starts entering into your worldview or you start coming up with explanations, the reason why you was hurt, you were hurt is that's just how people are and everyone just is terrible. Mm -hmm. And these are very common features in terms of what can develop. I mean a good example is Malcolm X had a remarkable transformation. And he had trauma, for example, very serious trauma from, from racial trauma where his father was killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Mm and his house was burned down by the Ku Klux Klan. And his explanation that he came up with when he was growing up was that the reason why that happened is because all white people are devils. Right. So his explanation was all white people are devils. And you can understand why he came up with that explanation. Yeah. And it led to a ruthless worldview where he had a worldview that was lacking in empathy. Mm -hmm. And he had this remarkable transformation where he was able to change that explanation and no longer think all white people are devils, but understand the very complex nature of racism and structural racism and how this right. uh, influences people's beliefs and affects different systems. But you can see how that's an example where trauma led to this kind of inaccurate explanation, which he later considered to be inaccurate. It led to this ruthless worldview. And there are examples where people, they might be traumatized by a man and they develop a ruthless worldview toward all men. Right. Or they are traumatized by a woman and they develop a ruthless worldview toward all women. Something very common with serial killers, many male serial killers are abused by their mothers. Mm -hmm. And they develop this ruthless worldview toward all women mm -hmm. as a consequence. Right, got it. Okay, yeah. so so this trauma coming in and interfering with these basic human needs um, yes. that are m more of the spiritual, more purpose purpose needs in our lives are yes. human needs really like yeah. not just about the physical body or the material plane or things like that um this trauma coming in can turn it and it has it you know it reminds me have you ever heard of the virtues of the month mm. there's like a virtue each month and the virtue always has a flip side to it mm. so this month i'm gonna get this wrong so i'm apologizing to anybody that's listening that knows or just correct me um 
It's about compassion, but the other side of it is heartlessness. Mm. So there's this this flip side. Right. Um, yeah. So so I hear this and that. So can I add a quick just yes. something to oh, support yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> Another non physical need. There's nine. I haven't gone through all of them yet in this And I'll make interview. sure we put yeah. up your website and everything so people can look at all of them. That, that'd be great. And have you come to their school yeah, or wherever. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. So another one is the human need for nurturing relationships, which consists of empathy, love, being respected, being listened to. And the foundation of nurturing relationships is the human need for trust and how every single human on the planet wants to be around people they can trust. And I ask the audience, do liberals like to be around people they can trust? And everybody says yes. And I say, do conservatives like to be around people they can trust? And everybody says yes. And I say, do Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, agnostics like to be around people they can trust? And people say yes. And I say, do people in the mafia like to be around people they can trust? And people <laughs> typically laugh and say yes. And I say, what about people in ISIS? What about Hitler, Osama bin Laden? And I say to the audience, raise your hand if you like being betrayed. No human likes to be betrayed. Every human likes to be around people they can trust. So trust is a basic human need. But when trauma becomes tangled in our need for nurturing relationships and trauma becomes tangled in our need for trust, it can actually create this tangle of mistrust where you develop this persistent inability to trust other human beings. I think this is a very common feature of trauma where I think something your audience can probably relate to either in their own lives or people they know. How a very common consequence of trauma is people have trouble trusting and they might actually perceive your kind act with suspicion because they might say, well, what if this is some kind of trap or what if this person is going to let me down or what if opening up myself vulnerability is going to set me up for future pain? And so even though we do have this need for trust and kindness, the way that trauma can become tangled up in that leading to persistent feelings of mistrust. Mm -hmm. So how do we heal that? mistrust or how do we heal these tangles of trauma and help people find healthy nurturing relationships, healthy belonging, healthy self-worth, healthy purpose and meaning, healthy explanations, etc. And some of the work we're really doing at this conference where people are sharing and listening um, starts to establish more of that. But there's this other piece you're talking about with technology too and I want to make sure we get there. So you tell me where you want to go next. Oh yeah, I I want to just address one more really great point you made is when I think about the human need like When I think about, for example, human need for nurturing relationships, trust is a foundation, and how mistrust is a tangle that can result from trauma, I I think it's important to keep in mind that it's not really a dark side. The Mm. tangle of trauma is really something that is trying to keep you safe from harm. Right, right. Like what we think about is these tangles of trauma like mistrust, ruthless worldview. They're Mm. really attempts to keep you safe and – they might have kept you safe when you were a child. They might have been good for that environment, but now you might be in an environment as an adult where they're now actually counterproductive. Yeah. And so I like to look at these tangles with a lot of compassion that even when we feel mistrust or the tangle that can result from – we have the human need for expression. When trauma becomes tangled up in that, it can lead to rage. But even rage is really just trying to keep you safe, right. and it, it's really trying to protect you. It's kind of a defense mechanism. So I really like to look at these tangles with a lot of compassion that they're really just trying to keep yeah. you safe. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank yeah. you for saying that. That that helps you can you know, yeah. put your hand on your heart and think, yeah, yeah, thank you for protecting me during that time, and now yeah. I have an opportunity to take a step beyond that if I can. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so – I, I want to move to the technology and the time we have remaining because it's connected to all I, – I, you made this connection today mm-hmm. how technology right now is meeting 
in some way, in this very illusory way, if I'm saying that right, um, all these basic human needs. And wow, that was that was kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, that list of nine non-physical needs and yeah. the tangles of trauma. How social media feeds everything on that list yeah so one of them was inspiration so right. so it, it inspires us there's and people are posting inspiring yeah. quotes right belonging absolutely belonging, expression sure. right expression yeah. he, nurturing relationships nurturing relationships you know you like love everything on your post yeah. right human need for explanations how often right. do people go on social media looking for explanations for why things happen right and this is why people plant fake news on mm. social media because people go to social media looking for news articles or commentaries to explain why did that thing happen and that is why fake news so often target social media because people use social media very often to meet their need for explanations. Many people use social media to meet their need for explanations more than they use traditional news outlets like newspapers or television. For sure. And then – so mm. when you go to that whole list, there's a pamphlet on org called The World of Electric Light. Understanding the seductive glow of screens, where I just go through every need and every tangle of tangle of trauma, and how social media is able to access every single one. Anybody that understands these things can manipulate them in the wrong way. But right. if we all have this information, that these are the needs, we will be able to see yes. if someone's trying to manipulate that for us. Yes. And that's that's what you're doing. This is the work you're doing is illuminating this for people. Yeah, and just giving people more ability to discern what part of their humanity the technology is accessing because there's very positive and very potentially negative ways that that access can occur. Mm -hmm. So helping people just have some transparency in terms of what non-physical need that I have or tangle of trauma is this really accessing right now? And is it being accessed in a way that's for my benefit and my well-being? Or is it being accessed in a way that really has no interest in my well-being as a human being? Right, absolutely. What would you say are some next steps? Um, I, my next step is I'm going to read your book. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> That's part of it. Um, what, what can we do? I have three kids, I was saying to you. Sure. And I'm thinking about them, and I'm thinking about, you know, who, who knows? We all don't want our children to experience trauma, but I think in this world it's, it's almost like not if. It's kind of like when right. um, in some ways. And we all have these – oh, you were saying like the, the, the phones are like uh, – we're like moths uh, flying towards an electric yeah. light that, that we keep persisting and going to when we think it's directional and it's not. Right. It's not the sun. It's not the moon. It's just an illusion, right? Right. So how do we – What's what do we do? Yeah, and peacelessy.org, I have a talk that – I think 23-minute talk. And I have the pamphlet on all the needs and tangles of trauma and also the pamphlet on electric light. And I, I think understanding how compelling – social media is because it's 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 real for people like people have real expression on there they have real mm. it, it's it's it feels real as real as anything else in terms of people have expression forms of expression the way that people can feel that their self-worth is being affirmed i don't I'm not saying it's necessarily the, the most stable way to meet those needs, yeah. but for people who do try to meet those needs in those ways, it, it, it can be very compelling to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that some of the more stable, healthier ways to meet those needs are not being taught. Some okay. of the more kind of human ways 
like in schools, they're not being taught. Oh, you yeah, said Yeah, just like, a deep connection with a human being. Like right. how do you build strong communities and deep trust and deep empathy with other human beings and a deep sense of shared purpose and really deep connection with other humans and with, um, you know, even other living creatures or even the planet itself. And that can give people a much more significant feeling of having these non-physical needs met. I mean, think of those non-physical needs as being like a kind of hunger. And there's many ways you can try to feed that hunger. You can feed it with very delicious, nutritious food, or you can feed it with, you know, junk food. Doritos. Yeah, think, things that are <laughs> not things that are not really nutritionally rich right. or don't really satisfy you. And so among that spectrum of how we feed these non-physical human needs, we can feed things in way we can feed them in ways that are, you know, you could argue fairly poisonous. I mean, there are mm-hmm. extremist ideologies and violent ideologies where people are really just trying to find purpose in life and meaning and belonging and right. they're looking for explanations and self-worth and a white nationalist group or ISIS or Hitler comes along and says, "Here, I'm going to I'm going to give you purpose and meaning and self-worth and belonging and explanations." But it's yeah. it's something that's very unhealthy for people and humanity as a whole. Okay. So how do we actually feed these needs in healthy ways? Yeah. And have a society that encourages that. And I I think what I heard you say is, you know, sometimes people will call you and say, "Hey, can you can you come talk to my class for 30 minutes about peace, right?" right. And meanwhile, we're like giving them hours and hours and hours of algebra. You know, we wouldn't do 30 minutes of algebra, right. you wouldn't do 30 minutes of a uh, second language or 30 minutes of uh, sentence construction. I don't even know what that's called anymore. I blocked yeah. it out. But yeah, imagine if we were doing as much peace work and as much relationship building. Right. Um, and I do think Waldorf schools do this mm. in in the way that they connect. And I think a lot of schools can do this and have the potential to do that and want to do it. And right. So, um, so you're saying start that start that with students. Make them aware of the, these needs rather than just these other basic needs that are talked about like food and things like that show them what's needed and how they can yeah i mean and i think it's a different paradigm of how we view what peace is how Mm. an oak tree knows how to be an oak tree just knows how to be an oak tree an oak tree doesn't have to go to school doesn't need a mentor doesn't need its parents Mm -hmm. to tell it what to do no oak tree Mm -hmm. just knows how to be an oak tree a caterpillar just knows how to turn into a butterfly they don't need an education they don't need their parents to give them instruction. They don't need a mentor. But more than any other species in the planet, humans, we have to learn how to be human. Mm. And right. and we've reached this point where our technology has greatly surpassed our competency and our humanity. And we have to escalate our competency and our humanity. We have to escalate our ethical evolution to match and even surpass pass our technology. Mm. And the Roman philosopher Seneca, he talked about the art of living, how of all the art forms, music, dance, writing, singing, living is by far the most difficult art form. Mm. And in the art of living, we are both the artist and the masterpiece. We are both the sculptor and the sculpture. And so I think a lot of what peace work is, is if we're going to solve these global problems and national problems and make the world more just and peaceful, you have to have give people the tools to do that. You have to – in the military, they give people excellent training in how to wage war. Mm-hmm. We give people almost no training in how to wage peace. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you had a basketball game and nobody's taught how to play basketball. It would be a mess and nobody would be shocked. <laughs> right. Nobody would be surprised. Right. If you had an orchestra play Beethoven and nobody was taught how to play their instruments, nobody would be shocked or surprised. So we live in a society where people are not taught the most basic peace skills. So why are we surprised by how things are in our country and around the world? So basically it means giving people the skills and the tools 
and helping them build their human capacities so they can not only heal their trauma and feel better and have more purpose and meaning in life, but so they can also work effectively – they can work more effectively together to solve community problems, national problems, and global problems and make the world more peaceful and just mm. for ourselves and also future generations. That is so beautiful. Thank you. I'm so excited to investigate your work. And can I mention our curriculum is available for free at peacelitercy.org. Oh, wow. For schools, for teachers. Yes. Our curriculum covers K-12 through and also higher education. And oh, wow. And people uh, – we mainly do – we try. We work to do a lot of teacher training. Yeah. We think that this should be taught the way we teach math and reading and writing with that kind of rigor. So if anyone wants to use our curriculum or reach out to us, we'd be very grateful to be able to collaborate. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode. Hey, Daniel. Hi there. <laughs> We're at the Questions Occurs Youth Conference in Spring Valley. It's 2019. There are lots of people out here having delicious coffee cake and vegan cookies, right? Right. It's all my favorite part. Awesome. <laughs> One of my favorite parts. Snack, snack is important. Okay, so what, what else has been... What else is standing out to you besides the vegan cookies? I think something that's really important is not only we are talking about courage, but we also have a place to practice courage because we're all here at the same event for the same reason. And we bring our different backgrounds and reason why we want to practice courage. And it's just an amazing place to be able to express that in an open environment and build up our courage to practice courage a little bit so then when we go to our communities at home we're able to remember oh I also did that at the conference yeah I can bring that into my community as well that's fantastic thank you so much <laughs> oh, my pleasure <laughs> hey Gwen Hello. <laughs> Thanks for being at the conference. Yes. Um, so, I don't know, we're all eating snack. What are your impressions, not just of the snack? Yeah, um, well, the snack is good, <laughs> starting off. Um, I guess it feels like I'm in this big circle where there's so much happening all at once. There's so many people and there's so many ideas and there's all this love. Mm. And... I'm still figuring out what's going to happen after, but it feels like it's so strong right now that something will yeah. happen with it. You can yeah. feel feel something growing. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. You see, Marie, what do you got to say? You did some beautiful Eurythmy. You were here for the Eurythmy week, too. Thank you. Um, my experience was very... Mm, somewhat life-changing because um, coming from California and being a very um, shy kind of keeping to myself type of person um, I think it was amazing to come with so many other people and like know that I'm not the only one who feels that way um, so it really it really helped me to boost my confidence you know more than I have before so I feel like every year of doing things you know, connected to this anthroposophy um, group is just amazing. Um, yeah, so I definitely suggest it to other people. You know, even if you feel like you're really shy and you just can't step out there, like I feel the same way. So trust me, like you're gonna love it, and the people, it's gonna be great. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thanks for coming. How about you? Okay. Um, very vibrant. Um, just it, so much positive energy. Um, just, I don't know. It makes me feel full of light and hope. Um, I don't really know what to do next, but this has given me a pause to think of what I could do, like, of how to um, shape my future based on my qualifications and interests and strengths. Um, and just being around positive energy and all these sweet souls who radiate this goodness um, is inspiring. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me your name one more time. Abigail. Abigail. Great. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Dane, what's up? You're drinking tea. What kind of tea you got? Moroccan mint. All the way from Morocco. <laughs> Delicious. Yep. So uh, tell me about this conference. What's it been like for you? This conference has been um, truly incredible. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I'm just kind of, John Bloom has me thinking about the etymology of all the words because you know how he goes. He does a lot with words, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, incredible. What is incredible? Um, this inner aspect and credibility. Um, yeah, I feel like it's given me some sort of inner credit. Um, mm, that's so, that is so nice. Like, you, you banked something. Like you've got, or or you've got a confidence now, or yeah, in that sense. But also, like it's gonna come back in the future, and I'll have credit. We'll all have credit towards each other, and that's a really beautiful way. That is super beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Eloise and Janisa, thanks for being at the youth conference. So can you guys give me like a little bit of imp an impression of what's happened here? Do you have this sense of it? Well, I think because, especially because uh, the youth of today have so much uncertainty about our future and about what the world will look like in the future. We've talked a lot about that. And I think it gives me a lot of hope to see so many people who are like-minded and who really care about what will happen next. Um, and it's just really inspiring to be here and I'm happy. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. I feel very much the same way that um, this conference, the questions of courage, is really right for this time and right now with young people that are experiencing the world and learning anthroposophy or perhaps interested in anthroposophy because it really brings us together. And this gave us a sort of space to express that in ways that we were all comfortable with and in many different mediums. There was art projects that were done but also just open conversations we had and for me the biggest takeaway was the connections created and the community community feeling mm -hmm. that they had here awesome what would you like to see happen next it sounds like it's been fruitful you've like found people that are thinking the same way you did things together what's next um, well, I think like what, with what you said, like the art projects have also really, I really enjoyed that. And I think like, I hope that there's more conferences like these and that we can like open, like have big ones and different themes and like next year and whenever. And, yeah, I would be really happy to participate in that. I would love to see a way to sort of connect all the people that came here. Um, I'm not sure how that would look, but it was so many connections throughout the weekend, and it's kind of hard to say, hey, can I connect with you, and can I connect with you, but try to 
finding a way that we can all somehow stay in contact, some forum that we can all go to. It'd probably have to be web-based. But that would be something that I would really love to see come from this so that we can continue flowing ideas and connections. And there were so many people who were doing this and wanted to do this. And we're all from so many different areas. It would be great that we can help each other and remember oh, I remember Joe from California and he's looking to do farming and I want to open a farm to, you know, to keep that connection. That would be a great place, I think, for us yeah. to... And I think definitely, like, it's really cool that we're all here and there are so many people from different places so that, like, in the future, if you want to go to California mm-hmm. or Chicago mm-hmm. or anywhere, like, you could just go and, like, know someone there yeah. who yeah. would help you do whatever mm-hmm. it is. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you, Laura. Thank you. Hey, Odin. Thanks for being at the Questions of Courage Youth Conference in Spring Valley, New York. It's summer 2019, the birds are chirping, and you wrote a tremendous poem that you shared last night at the open mic. It was riveting, so I was wondering if you could share that again. I just want to tell people you have also been riding your unicycle around. <laughs> well, I wish I could claim credit for it, actually, but it was actually written by Dr. Seuss. Oh, come on! Although it is it's such an inspiration <laughs> that I will, I'm certain write poems like it. But, it goes. Give me the gift of a grip-top sock, a clip-drape ship-ship tip-top sock, not your spin-stick slapstick slip-slop-slop, but a plastic elastic grip-top sock. None of your fantastic slip-slop-slop from a slapdash flash cash haberdash shop. Not a knick-knock, knit-lock, knock-kneed knickerbocker sock with a mock-shot blob-mottled trick-ticker-top clock. Not a super-sheet seersucker rock-sack sock. Not a spot-speckled frog-freckled cheap-sheek sock of a hodgepodge moss-blotch scotch-botch block. Nothing slip-shod, drip-drop, flip-flopper, glip-clap, tip me to a tip-top grip-top sock. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're very welcome. <laughs> Bye. Like what you're hearing? Want to support this work? Join the Anthroposophical Society in America at www.anthroposophy. That's a n t h r o p o s o p h y. dot org.